Well, good morning. Welcome to our Sunday School Hour here at Long Hill Baptist Church. Welcome. I want to ask you this morning to take your Bible, please, and turn to uh, 2 John. 2 John, toward the end of the New Testament. I want to continue, uh, and hopefully we'll complete our study in this short book uh, of 2 John this morning. Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Father, we do thank you this morning, Lord, for the Bible, for your words. Lord, I thank you this morning for the great privilege to uh, teach these, thy words, this morning. Lord, I need your help this morning, and I pray for it. Father, I pray that you would build us up in your words this morning, edify us. Lord, I know this morning it'll be a great help to us, and as I always pray, Lord, I do pray this morning that as we are built up, as we become more Christ-like, Lord, that our real goal would be to be uh, to bring honor and to bring glory to you, Lord. Father, I pray this morning that you'll help us now to understand your words. Lord, use me now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so again, we are here this morning in the book of 2 John. We began looking at the book last uh, Sunday morning and uh, made our way uh, roughly halfway through the book. Uh, just a couple of reminders now as, as we jump in here. Uh, the book is written by John. Uh, that seems to be quite clear. Uh, he calls himself uh, here in uh, verse 1, the elder. Uh, John evidently has served as a pastor uh, it would seem to be that he is uh, quite old, <laughs> mature in every sense of the word now um, as well. And he's writing to one who's called an elect lady. And of course, uh, this could be a literal woman. We, we said that last week. There's um, really no reason that that couldn't be the case. Uh, some have suggested also that this is poetic language, metaphorical uh, language, and that John is writing to a church. That's a, that's a possibility. Uh, with the children of the lady sort of poetically referring to the members of a church. Uh, and that would make his, uh, her sister, in verse 13, uh, a sister church as well. These are possibilities. Uh, we don't know for sure. Uh, we won't know for sure this side of heaven. Uh, in any event, we understand John is writing to one or more believers um, about love and about truth. And, and really the intersection of love and truth. One thing that's clear in John's writing and in God's words given to us uh, by John, the apostle, uh, the author of this letter, the author of uh, John's gospel, the author of Revelation, the author of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, uh, one thing is true. Uh, John wants us to understand the Lord's call to be loving toward each other, and he wants us to understand the Lord's call to do that according to the truth of God's words. And we'll see a number of ways that uh, that idea, that theme, uh, takes life or legs, if you will, uh, in the passage today. Uh, I want to go ahead and read these 13 verses, read them through this morning, then we'll come back and pick it up in verse 7. So if you would follow along with me, beginning in... Uh, we, we are in uh, 2 John, beginning in verse 1. Uh, John writing here, God's words, The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. So love and truth. And not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. The truth of God, the truth of his words. 
He writes, verse 2, for the truth's sake. And here, uh, this seems to be a reference to Christ, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever, believers. He writes, grace be unto you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, uh, in what church? In truth and love. He says in verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, seeing uh, young people or fellow believers walk according to the truth of God's word. It is an occasion for joy, for rejoicing greatly. He says, as we have received a commandment from the Father. Verse 5, he continues, and now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. So here again, love uh, and the commandment that we be in the business of demonstrating love to fellow believers. Verse 6, he says, and this is love, that we walk after his commandments, the Lord's commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. And here's where we'll begin uh, this morning. Uh, Verse seven, he says, for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Verse eight, he says, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought but, contrast here, but that we receive a full reward. We'll discuss these verses. Verse 9 continues, Whosoever transgresseth, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Verse 10, he continues, if there come any unto you who bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed, he that encourages that person, is partaker of his evil deeds. John concludes in verses 12 and 13, he writes, having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink But I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. There was a desire uh, in Christian love to be together, to fellowship together. Verse 13, he says, the children of thy elect sister greet thee. And he closes with amen. I want to pray uh, briefly once more. Father, thank you again for these thy words. Uh, Lord, we thank you for... uh, having them to be inscripturated and preserved for us. Father, I thank you for a wonderfully accurate translation of your very words uh, in our King James Bible. What a joy, what a privilege, Father, uh, to have these words. Uh, Lord, it is a wonderful privilege to teach them this morning. I pray now that, uh, again, Lord, that you'll help me uh, to do that well. Father, I love you. I thank you. I thank you for the privilege this morning to have these words and to teach these words. Uh, I pray that you give us all heart now to receive them. Uh, Lord, work here now in these next minutes, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's jump right back in here at verse 7. Verse 6 is where we left off last week, so we are ready now uh, for verse 7. You've already seen here this morning... Uh, in verse 7, that John warns them 
uh, about those who deny the doctrine, the teaching that Christ came in the flesh. Uh, in the first century and, and even today, uh, there were those who were teaching that uh, Christ did not come with a fleshly human body. Uh, John would probably be uh, teaching specifically against uh, those who, who would be called uh, doketic Gnostics. And that's not something that you need to learn or know, but it's just interesting historically. Uh, there, there was a sect, a cult, uh, a cult, the doketic Gnostics, that were teaching uh, that Christ did not come uh, with a human body. We'll look at verse 7 again. He says, For many deceivers are entered into the world. That was true in the first century, and it's true today. There are many who are teaching false doctrine, many who call themselves Christians, uh, who are teaching false doctrine. He says, uh, of course, many who don't call themselves Christians. Uh, he says, for many deceivers are entered into the world, and uh, this would be a chief way of identifying uh, someone who, uh, whose doctrine should be rejected. He says, who confess not, uh, who do not teach, who do not agree, who do not confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. He says this or that person, the person who would teach that Christ did not come uh, with a, a human fleshly body, he says that person, this is a deceiver uh, and an antichrist, one who is uh, not the antichrist, but opposed to Christ, uh, the one true um, begotten, the only begotten uh, son of God, uh, who came, who was um, incarnated, who took on a, uh, a human nature while still retaining his divine nature, uh, but took on a human body. Uh, why would the devil have such a great interest in opposing uh, that truth? Well, uh, Christ came uh, to take on a human body for a number of reasons, but certainly the most important reason, or arguably at least the most important reason, uh, is that so he could uh, die on the cross, that he could shed literal, physical, uh, human blood upon the cross, uh, which the Father required in order for our sins to be forgiven. Listen, you understand easily, I'm sure, that uh, if Christ did not come, if he only appeared to have a human body, uh, he did not shed real, literal, physical blood upon the cross. And that would be contrary to uh, all, the, those truths that are at the very center of our faith. Uh, Christ took on a human body. We'll see in several minutes, in just a couple of minutes actually, that was prophesied uh, and it is recorded a number of times. That prophecy was fulfilled. Uh, I want to share with you this morning, and you don't need to learn these things necessarily, but understand uh, that across the centuries, the devil has been very much in the business of denying uh, the biblical nature uh, of Christ. Uh, in the third and fourth centuries, there was a false teaching called Arianism that denied the deity of Christ. And uh, those that took up that antichrist teaching uh, paved the way for many of the more modern pseudo-Christian, false Christian cults uh, that we see in the world today. Uh, they deny the deity of Christ. They say, well, you know, he was a, he was a great man. He, he was a prophet. 
uh, but he certainly was not God the Son. Uh, he certainly was not a deity like God the Father is deity. Well, no, we reject that as an antichrist, unbiblical uh, teaching. Uh, later on in the fourth and fifth centuries, Apollinarianism uh, attacked Christ's humanity and uh, really was sort of a descendant of this first century error that John is writing against uh, in this verse. And uh, later on, the Nestorians came along. They taught that, well, the incarnate Christ possessed both a divine nature uh, and a human nature. This union was accomplished through two separate persons uh, in a single physical body. And of course, that doesn't even really make sense at all. They say there were two persons of Christ, a divine one and a human one that took up residence uh, in a single human body. No, that's not right either. That's not right either. Uh, around the same time, Eutychianism came along. They uh, attempted, I think, to correct the Nestorian heresy. However, they erred by teaching that the single person of Christ consisted of a, a divine nature alone. They again denied the human nature of Christ. So that same teaching seemed to come along and, and come along. An error would crop up and uh, this, this teaching that Christ didn't have a human body would, would come along again as an answer to false teaching. Well, uh, a false answer uh, to a false teaching is still false. You're still left with uh, falsehood. <clears throat> History shows us that uh, by about 451, uh, there was a, uh, a correct understanding amongst uh, many. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church, or what would later become the Roman Catholic Church, uh, they had a council in 451 in which they uh, finally saw, and this is uh, truth, truth that the, the, the Roman Catholic Church, of course, has so much error, uh, but they finally got around to seeing the truth that uh, Christ has uh, two natures, uh, a divine nature and a human nature uh, that, that are married together um, at his incarnation uh, at the manger in a single real human body. Now that's a quick history and it's, um, it's honestly not that important to learn those things. Uh, and I would add this also, uh, just because it took until AD 451 for one group of people to recognize the truth, most certainly does not, believe, does not mean uh, that there weren't others who understood the clear teaching of the Bible uh, before that. So often you'll hear references to these uh, Catholic councils that would meet and they would, they would come to certain understandings. But uh, you understand this morning that we're not Protestants. We don't believe that we came out of the Catholic Church uh, in response to the error of that church. No, we, uh, we see that there were Baptistic people all the way down through history. And while it may have taken a Catholic-like group until 451 to see the truth about the nature of Christ and his incarnation, uh, we would certainly, we would certainly hold that our Baptist forerunners uh, possessed the truth and understood the truth uh, well before the 5th century AD. Nonetheless, the, the history of the era is interesting. It shows the, 
the tendency of man over time uh, to take up error, to take up error. And of course, the devil is still very much in the business of serving up error uh, to those who, who would receive it. And uh, listen, I, I think this morning that we recognize that there's a lot of people in the world who, who want to think of themselves as saved, but who are not truly saved. Uh, and so they do not have the benefit of the Spirit of God to help them discern truth from error. Praise God this morning, if you've repented and turned to Christ and placed your faith in him, you have the Spirit of God indwelling you, and so you have the ability in Christ uh, through the, the active ministry of the Spirit of God to understand the words of God and to be able to discern what is truth and what is error. Uh, we don't need a, a mother church to teach us that. We have the Bible and we have the Spirit of God. Praise God for that. Well, let's look at some of the uh, places, some of the, the passages in Scripture uh, that, that teach the human nature of Christ. I, I would underscore again that none of this does harm to the divine nature of Christ. When he came, uh, he came as still God the Son, but the one who took on a human body and possessed both a godly nature and a human nature uh, in that one human body. Well, of course, John chapter 1. Turn there with me, if you would, please. The Gospel of John chapter 1 teaches both the divine and the human nature of Christ uh, together with the truth that he took on a fleshly body. Uh, again, this is important because uh, he came, took on a fleshly body uh, uh, in, in, in large part for the purpose of being able to die a real physical death with real physical blood being shed uh, to cover our sins. Look at John 1.1. 1, 1. John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, here's the divine nature of Christ. The Bible says in the beginning was the word, and you can't read uh, even the whole chapter uh, without quickly understanding uh, that the word is God the Son, uh, and this alludes here to his divine nature. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was what? God. Not God the Father, not God the Holy Spirit, but God the Son. Uh, skip down to verse 14. We're in John 1, not 1 John, but John's gospel, John 1, uh, and verse 14. Look there. Uh, the Bible says there, this same one who was called the Word was made flesh. Well, there you go. Uh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the only begotten Son, uh, the only one who came as God the Son, uh, who took on a, a fleshly body. He's the only begotten Son. You know, I think I've probably erred along the way in saying that Jesus is the only Son of God. Uh, we're called sons of God. Uh, that's, that's a great truth. But Jesus is the only begotten Son. Uh, he's the only one who came as God to take on a fleshly body uh, for the purpose of going to the cross. 
Uh, we are called sons of God. Uh, Adam is called the son of God. Uh, others are called sons of God. Uh, Jesus is the only begotten son, the only one who came, uh, the word made flesh. The only one who came is the word uh, made flesh. Of course, this was prophesied, right? Uh, now, if, I, if you were here and I called on you and said, give me a verse in the Old Testament that prophesied that uh, Jesus, God the Son, would come as a man, uh, you'd think of a verse, I dare say. You might come up with uh, Isaiah 7 and verse 14. Isaiah 7, 14. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name, what is it, church? Emmanuel. And of course, Emmanuel uh, is a uh, it's a transliteration of a Hebrew word. Uh, that me It's a sentence, actually. God with us. One of the great titles or names of Christ, God with us. Uh, Jesus Christ, the biblical Christ, is God with us. The one who came of, of a woman, as was uh, prophesied, alluded to all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And Isaiah shed a little more light on that, quite a little more. He'd be born of a virgin as a sign, a great sign, and he would be God with us. In Luke 1, in verse 31, uh, the Bible says, the angel said, Behold, thou shalt conceive, Mary, uh, in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, uh, our Savior. Praise God for that. Well, of course, we have uh, many places where uh, the uh, fulfillment of these prophecies is recorded. Matthew 1 and verse 16, Jacob begat Joseph the, uh, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ, Messiah, the anointed one. Uh, in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16, we'll be back uh, in that passage uh, in the 11 o'clock hour this morning. Uh, the Bible says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, in the flesh. This is 1 Timothy 3. Uh, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of the angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. The Lord Jesus Christ is God, not the Father, not the Spirit, but the Son, manifest in the flesh. The Bible teaches over and over and over again that the, that the Messiah, the Savior, would come as God in the flesh. He would take on flesh. Uh, by the way, he still, uh, he still has a fleshly body. He was received uh, up into heaven. He ascended up into heaven with a fleshly uh, body, very much a glorified one now. Uh, but not only has he taken on flesh, but he's, he's retained that. Uh, he still today, evidently, according to the Bible, has a fleshly body, albeit a glorified one. Listen, that's wonderful truth uh, that points to a great hope for us. Uh, we will be resurrected from the dead at the rapture, if we die, of course, before the rapture. Uh, we'll, we'll take on glorified, uh, perfected fleshly bodies. 
uh, a perfected version of the same body that we have now, uh, a glorified one. Jesus was raised with the same body that went into the tomb, and uh, that body was glorified. And so we understand that uh, our same bodies that we're buried with will be raised uh, and perfected uh, unto glory. What a wonderful truth. Uh, what a wonderful, Jesus, the firstborn from the dead, uh, will follow similarly. Uh, we don't become gods or, or, or God-like uh, as the Mormon church would teach, but nonetheless, these are truths. Nonetheless, these are truths. Now, um, it is a devilish thing to teach that Jesus did not come uh, bodily, fleshly. Uh, in 1 John, First uh, John chapter four and verse three, the Bible says, "In every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God." You understand? There's the Holy Spirit out there, uh, and then there's other spirits, and those are demons. Uh, angels who joined Satan, Lucifer, in rebelling against God in heaven, uh, who lost in that rebellion, of course, because God is omnipotent. Uh, they were cast out from heaven. Uh, they war against, they, they, uh, they commit spiritual warfare against believers today. Uh, one of the ways they do that is trying to offer up false doctrine to us. Uh, of course, you recall the account of Joseph Smith, uh, the, the one who gave us Mormonism. Uh, his testimony was that angels came uh, and, and gave him additional scripture. Well, I have no trouble with that. I believe that angels likely did come, except they were fallen angels who came and uh, dictated to him uh, false scripture and false doctrine. Uh, of course, Muhammad, the, the inventor of Mormon, uh, not Mormonism, but rather uh, Islam, uh, has the same testimony. An angel or, or angels came and dictated scripture to him. And uh, over and over again, we see in history, uh, in history, that there are these fallen angels that are very happy uh, to serve up false doctrine to whoever would receive it. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to stand firm on the truth of thy word, uh, the closed canon of Scripture. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world." That was true in the first century, as John wrote, and it's true in this century as well. We still have John's words and, and his warning from the Lord. So uh, we clearly uh, will stand firm in the truth that Christ, God the Son, uh, at his incarnation uh, came. God the Son with a fleshly human body, two natures in one body. Uh, and he still has <laughs> one body. We praise God for the certainty of these truths. Well, let's continue on. Uh, in verse 8, John warns about the possibility of losing one's reward in heaven uh, when we take up false doctrine. And in this context, he may be uh, alluding specifically to false doctrine regarding Christ and his nature. Uh, we'll see here a warning about losing one's reward in heaven. Of course, this is very different than losing one's salvation. We believe the Bible is clear uh, that a saved person cannot lose his or her uh, salvation. Look at verse 8. 
he says this, look to yourselves, uh, be responsible to guard your doctrine. Look to yourselves uh, that we lose, or so that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full what? A full reward. Look to yourselves, be responsible to know what the Bible says to stand firm in Bible truth, in biblical doctrine, to stand so that you may stand guard against error. Uh, the, whether it's a, a, a demon trying to serve up error to you, or a church that's trying to serve up error, uh, perhaps knowingly or perhaps not, uh, perhaps in ignorance, uh, some cult that's coming to you, you need to know the truth so that you can discern error. John writes, God's command, look to yourself, be responsible, uh, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. And so we see here that there is a connection being made between taking up false doctrine and losing not your salvation, but rather your reward in heaven. You understand this morning, I hope, that uh, you as a believer will be rewarded in heaven for your service. Your service uh, as part of being a saved, baptized church member. Uh, I don't believe that service outside of uh, a church is, is necessarily rewarded, but it's God's plan during this church age that you be a, a, an active, uh, participating church member serving the Lord in and through the ministries uh, of your church. That's God's plan for this time and uh, God's intention for us to focus our service uh, as a church member uh, and to do that with a right heart, uh, a right heart, uh, and that there'll be a reward for that in eternity. Uh, 1 Colossians 3 and verse 8 says, every man shall receive his own reward according to his labor, according to his service. So uh, that's 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 8. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 8. Uh, our reward in heaven will be proportional to our service this side of heaven. Uh, our, our service will be evaluated by the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. That's uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. The Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So uh, again, it'll be according to our labor, according to what we've done. We can't earn our salvation, but according to scripture, we most certainly can earn eternal rewards. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 13 says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Listen, uh, we'll be rewarded according to or in proportion to our service. But the character of our service matters as much as the quantity of our service. Did you hear that? The character of our service matters just as much as the quantity of our service. I believe the Bible plainly teaches just in these verses that someone who serves uh, a little bit, maybe they get saved toward the end of their life, but they're faithful to serve with a right heart, with right motives, 
uh, will be rewarded far more than someone who got saved early and who served all the way through their life, but with a wrong heart, with wrong motives. Do you understand that? The character of our service matters as much, even more, perhaps, than the quantity of our service. The Lord desires that we serve out of a heart filled with gratitude uh, for what Christ has done for us, that uh, we not serve to, uh, to heap uh, the approval of men upon ourselves. We, we not serve from a heart filled with pride, but with a heart filled with gratitude uh, to Christ. Uh, Lord, help us to serve you much uh, and to serve consistently, faithfully, until we're home with you, but with a right heart, uh, not out of pride, but uh, out of gratitude with the desire to bring you honor and glory. In Revelation 3 and verse 11, Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. Hold thou fast. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Um, a crown can be taken. In our passage here in verse 8, a reward can be lost. Isn't that interesting? And John, in verse 8 here, ties the loss of reward to the taking on of false doctrine. Now, I want to be precise here and careful. That's always my goal, always my intention. Uh, it could be that the Lord is saying in verse 8 that uh, there's a literal uh, direct connection between taking up false doctrine and loss of reward. The Lord might be saying that, listen, if you take up false doctrine, uh, I will take away your reward. I don't think that's necessarily the case. Uh, I don't think that the Lord uh, will take away a crown that you have earned. Uh, he won't take away our salvation, and I don't think that he would take away a crown that has been earned. Uh, and so I believe, and I Holy Spirit gives me peace about this. I believe that what verse 8 is teaching is, that, is this. If you as a believer take up false doctrine, particularly false doctrine about Christ, and that false doctrine affects the faithfulness which, with which you serve, if taking up false doctrine causes you to or distracts you from serving the Lord, or causes you to begin serving him with wrong motives, with a wrong heart, you will lose that additional reward that you might otherwise have gained. Uh, do you understand that? Is, is that clear? I believe the Lord is showing us here that if we allow ourselves to take up false doctrine, which distracts us from serving or from serving with a right heart, with right motives, uh, the opportunity to, to, earn, uh, to earn additional reward in heaven will be affected. It will be affected. And so there's an indirect relationship between false doctrine and reward in heaven, but a relationship nonetheless. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to be people of your words. Lord, help us to be yielded to you. Uh, that we might know the instruction and an uh, aid of the Spirit of God uh, to understand your words and to remember your words so that we might discern truth from error, so that we might not be distracted 
from serving or serving with right intentions, with right hearts, so that we not lose reward in eternity, uh, reward that would bring you honor and glory. Listen, I've said it before, I'll say it again this morning. I'll be glad to be rewarded in eternity. Trust me, I will. I'll be glad to be rewarded in eternity. But I'll be glad mostly because whatever reward I have in eternity uh, will bring honor and glory to my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, who came and took on a body, an actual physical body, so that he could go to the cross and die a, a physical death, having shed physical blood to satisfy God the Father so that I could be saved when I repent, <laughs> when I repent uh, and come to Christ in faith, uh, saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Uh, great truths, great truths this morning. Uh, by the way, and this is an aside, but I think it's an important aside and worthy of time this morning, uh, it is absolutely critical that we not understand verse 8 to mean that anyone could lose his or her salvation. Uh, there are many who teach that salvation can be lost, but I do not believe the Bible permits that for one moment. I believe the Bible shows us that our salvation is secure. Uh, and so verse 8 cannot teach that uh, if you take up false doctrine as a saved person, uh, that you'll lose your salvation. Uh, no, it's, it's teaching that we, we lose, perhaps we, we would lose some of the um, reward for our service as we've discussed. But why do we understand that the Bible does not permit uh, that we could lose our salvation? Well, uh, you probably know the answers. I, I hope you do. But if not, please take down just uh, uh, several quick points. And very quickly now, please. Uh, in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, the Bible shows us there the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God has sealed our salvation. Ephesians 1, verse 13 says, uh, in whom you trusted, this is Christ, of course, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, uh, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory." My salvation has been sealed by the Spirit of God uh, in two ways, I believe. Uh, sealed uh, in, in terms of, of, of authenticated, the same way that uh, a letter in the first century might have been uh, sealed with wax and stamped with the stamp of the sender uh, to prove uh, the... Um, to prove uh, the legitimacy, if you will, uh, but also to keep it secured. The same way that letter would stay closed, stay, stay secured, uh, my salvation has been secured by the Spirit of God. Uh, he is omnipotent. He has power to secure my salvation eternally. Uh, of course, secondly, in, in John 6 and verse 37, Jesus says that he will not cast us out. He says, all there, uh, there, he says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. 
Well, I believe that refers to the point at which we come to Christ. He'll not deny us, uh, but I believe it also teaches that he'll never cast us out. He'll not deny us salvation when we first come, and uh, at no point in time will he cast us out from uh, the sheepfold, and, and praise God for that. Of course, uh, Jesus also teaches that we have eternal life. Uh, thirdly, uh, in John 10, verses 27 and 28, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Uh, my sh isn't it great to have Jesus as your shepherd? Your pastor is the under shepherd, but Jesus is your shepherd. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. We're known by the Lord and they follow me. They follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Uh, once you come to Christ, you are added to his sheepfold. Uh, he gives you eternal life. How long is eternal? Uh, it's forever. By the way, it's either eternal or it's not. Uh, there's no other possibility. It's either eternal life that you receive when you come to Christ or it's not. Well, the Bible teaches repeatedly our salvation yields eternal life, period. Uh, and no one can do anything about that. No one can pluck you out of the Lord's sheepfold. So uh, this is one of those areas where uh, a verse like 2 John uh, 8 uh, might be misunderstood uh, to mean that we could lose our salvation, uh, but we have the privilege to compare Scripture with Scripture and understand, no, it can't be that, because the Bible clearly teaches my salvation's eternal. I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus won't cast me out. He's given me eternal life. And so verse 8 means exactly what it says. Uh, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full what? What's the last word? Reward. It's about reward for service, not about salvation. Praise God. Uh, praise God. We'll stop there this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your words. Lord, thank you for the truth of your words. Thank you for the privilege we have to compare Scripture with Scripture, uh, to interpret Scripture through Scripture, and to be aided by the Spirit of God as we do that. Lord, thank you for that prodding of the Spirit in that process. Uh, Father, there's no peace when we understand something incorrectly, but uh, there is a peace and comfort of the Spirit when we uh, yield ourselves and allow him to guide us as we read your words. Lord, I thank you this morning. I thank you this morning for uh, the truth of your word. Uh, the truth that we have a Savior, uh, your only begotten Son, who took on flesh and who went to the cross that we might be saved when we repent and place our faith in him. Lord, thank you for a Savior who took on a human body and who suffered to pay the price for my sins so that I would not have to do that in a very real hell. Father, I thank you so very much for that. I pray this morning for anyone who uh, has not yet placed their faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that they would simply come and say, Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin has separated me from you and condemned me to hell. 
And so, Lord, I, I understand also this morning that Christ came and died upon the cross for my sins. He shed real blood to cover my sins. Lord, I understand that satisfies you, and, and you make the rules. Uh, Father, help me to now to place my faith in Christ for forgiveness of my sin. Lord, thank you for anyone who may have prayed that prayer even now. I pray that you'd help that person to get into a good church um, that teaches your words. Father, thank you so much this morning for your words. I love you. I thank you. Thank you for my church, my church members. Thank you for their faithfulness to you and uh, their friendship, Lord. And I pray that you bless each one today. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name.